but but I was even scared from the point of view of my of my wife like she's not suffering with that so like we're a young family and how is she going to deal with this how is she going to understand this like at the end of the day what she wants is a strong of course she's my wife and she'll accept everything and, and support me with everything but what she wants is a strong partner that helps us you know raise the kids and and makes us you know successful as a family and so forth so I was scared like how is she going to take it my wife was like don't worry about things like if we need to both get a job we both get a job if we need to do whatever we need to do we need to you know we'll do it but at no cost you know no way can we do this at the cost that it's having now like it's just not like what what is all this if you one day collapse hello there and welcome to mental health at work the podcast where company leaders reveal the mental health stories that shaped them and their workplaces. Each week, our host, practicing psychologist and people team leader, Maite Otero, will be talking mental health with special guests from all sorts of top companies. But we thought we'd start off a bit closer to home. So for our first episode, we're joined by Oliva's very own co-founder and CEO, Javier Suarez who opens up about the dark place he found himself in while leading his previous company, the moment he knew he had to search for help, and how this experience led to the birth of Oliva, proper mental health care for the whole team. We hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm super excited to do this this yeah. podcast. Let's do this. I see that you have a really nice setup. Yeah. <laughs> It's already unprepared. Yeah. You should see, like, I have all the, you know, like the studio. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Love it. I need to do that. I need to do that because I have the worst setup in the world. Like I, I should be looking at you in the face. I know that, but <laughs> camera is so it's it's amazing. So Javi, thank you so much for being here. This is like super special. It's mutual. Thank you so much. I'm happy to hear that. So how are you today? Good, excited, uh, lots of stuff going on, uh, onboarding customers, building products, staying healthy. So, um, so good. I can't complain. That's good. Now I'm going to ask you the question again. How are you? I am good. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, it, it's always a bit of an anxious feeling uh, and nervousness right before launch. Uh, and now that we've launched, things are starting to come together. So I feel... A bit on edge, uh, but it's a good edge, right? I'm just on my toes and I'm making sure that everything is working like it should, that we're very prepared. You know, the big thing about this new venture that we're doing with Oliva, that it's mental health, it's not software, you know, it's on its yeah. own, it's people in between and, and lives in between. So so I'm just conscious of that, right? And it's for the good and for the worse, let's say. I, I It's a big responsibility. So I'm, I'm just trying to take it very seriously, but I'm doing good. So I'm wondering, you said it's, um, Ed, how do you know is the good Ed? I think, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think good edge is when you have your foundations in place, right? If you're sleeping right, if you're eating right, if you're doing therapy or sports or whatever you do to, to stay resilient and healthy, as long as that is, remains unchanged and you have that foundation, then it's just an edge about excitement, right? It's just about, hey, new things happening, you know, we're creating things from scratch. So it's exciting because it's related with creativity and with and with and creating value and, and, and doing good. So that's when I think when you know that it's a good edge is when it's uh it's more on the exciting side of things than more on the draining side of things, right? Um, 
Yeah, I'm hearing when your things that are challenging are happening, but your basic needs are being covered and not you're not paying the toll of sacrificing basic needs. And that's when it turns into a not good edge when you're not sleeping yeah. well or eating well. I think a simple way to say it is as long as you keep your priorities straight, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think the foundation of this for me has been, um, it all starts with yourself, right? Like if you're not doing well, uh, then you're not a good partner, you're not a good husband, you're not a good uh, manager, you're not a good uh, peer, you're not a good anything, right? Yeah. So um, so as long as you take, you know, keep your priorities straight and make sure that your health and your own well-being as an individual stays top of that list, everything else should follow. Um, and I think, I think that's probably one of the biggest learnings I've done in the past few years. Mm. So why did you decide to start your own business? So yeah, look, um, it all started. So I've been, I've been kind of into business since a very young age. I've always like, I would go places, put it, you know, it could be a restaurant, it could be a cinema, it could be a website. I would always start thinking, ah, but why didn't they do this? This could be better. Why is this missing? Why is that not going on, right? And my first real attempt was uh, I wanted to build a hot dog stand because I saw a really good spot for it. And I went <laughs> to the providers, the sauces, just everything. I had it all set up and then I, I moved to Germany. So um, so it's always been in my blood. It's always been kind of like just how I think. I, I, I honestly, I feel very blessed because because I just feel it. Like I just see things that could be better and then I just go for it, right? Uh, So Oliva came to life because I did a company before, like my first big thing, let's say, in my professional side of things, it was called Travel Perk. It's a business travel platform. Basically, imagine Expedia or Booking.com, but made for businesses. Mm -hmm. It didn't exist back then. There was a huge gap. So I decided to go for it. And, and that went really well. Uh, you know, we you know, built a, an amazing team, a product from scratch, and, you know, hundreds of employees joined us, a lot of funding, a lot of happy customers, the whole thing, everything was shining. But I completely screwed up when it came to myself. After about three years, I started suffering quite a bit from anxiety and imposter syndrome and um, to levels that I had never experienced before. I think a little bit of those two things is always present in most of us. Mm -hmm. um, but it got to a point that I couldn't really operate anymore, right? And um, so it was really hard to find that help uh, and we can get more into it if, if you want, but um, it just really made a mark. I was like, oh, wow, that was very, very difficult. It took a lot of time, it took a lot of money, a lot of energy. It affected my loved ones as well because I was not doing well. I had to still pretty show up to work in the mornings and I just knew that I was not asking for rocket science. I was not asking for somebody to send a rocket to Mars, right? Like I was asking, I just want to find a therapist and feel better. So it just, it, it, and it took me a year to get to that. So after trying multiple times with different people and types of care, it, it really sparked something in my mind because I was thinking who in my team at Travel Park is feeling this way. I knew from the stats that a lot of them were, were going through there, right? Um, just to put it into perspective, one out of every four uh, goes through something like this every year. And so if I was going through that and I probably had a bit of more time and resources, what was my team going through? And then, and then the spark was like, this can't be that hard. Like, why does, why is, why can't I just go online and find a service where I can show up and say, Hey, I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling crap. Please get me sorted. I don't want to have to Google. I don't want to have to find out what I need, what I have. Just get me sorted. Right. And, and that was impossible. That was impossible. Right. And so that's why Oliva's born, because I'm a very, very strong believer that it must be easier. Everything is in place. The hard part is done. Like 
the evidence-based uh, modalities and the people that are trained for this are there. Now we just need to make a very accessible door towards this. So it's not, it's, it's really like puzzling to me to understand why doesn't it exist already in mass? Like it's an opportunity great for the business, but to be quite frank, like I love baking businesses, but I would love even more if it would already exist. And all those people in the past uh, until now that they wouldn't have to have gone through what they went through. So Oliva was born out of a personal necessity or personal experience that could be improved. 100%. Um, I, I, for me, as clinical psychologist, it's also like incredible to think that this doesn't exist. So coming back to your experience in Travel Perk, when you were saying I was feeling anxious and imposter syndrome, how was that for you? How did you feel it in your body? Oof, it, it was it was it was really intense like it was it was mental but at the same time physical right like you said it's it's like you feel this like you're tense all day right mm -hmm. and you're just kind of like you're kind of like on flight mode the whole time it's like okay I just need to get through this other hour or this other day so I could really feel it in my body I, I could feel that I would wake up tired when you're that tense anxious it's it's really physical in the sense that it drains your energy to a level that most people that don't have it don't understand because you're there you're at work but every minute that's passing you're you're getting drained and drained and drained and then and then you have to do that five days a week right so it really accumulates and, it, and that's i think what's the dangerous recipe is if you let it accumulate over time mm. it can really be very hard to get out of that hold which is kind of what happened to to me i would i would just feel my entire body just crunching up Like in an alert mode all the time. All the time, all the time, right? Yeah. Like, um, and look, and the good thing, but the good thing is, right, there's, there's always a flip side is that I learned a lot. And now I know my alarms. I know what I did wrong. Um, so that's the fruits of going through something like that. How, how did you realize that, okay, I need to turn this around? Like, th this is not normal. Because like speaking with different CEOs or founders and with different people in, in positions that are a lot of stress and responsibility. Sometimes it's like, you don't even know that you're going through that. What was the turning point? How did I know? For me, it was, I knew something was going on. I knew that I wasn't feeling right, but I, it was not bad enough for me to stop what I was doing. And mm. I, um, I, so I let it accumulate a lot. And then it got to the point one day on a Saturday, you know, I, I decided, okay, I'm going for a walk. I'm going to feel a bit better. And then I was, I went to Barceloneta here at the beach in Barcelona and I went to get a beer, right? It was, I don't know, sometime in the afternoon. And, um, and I went to this, to this beach bar to get a beer and I couldn't order it. I just felt too anxious. Like I didn't have the courage to say, Hey, can you please bring me a beer? I just, I was so in my mind that I just couldn't come out of it. And I left and, and that shocked me. That shocked me because if there's something that, that characterizes my personalities, I'm an, I'm an open guy. Like I'll talk and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm friendly and social and all that stuff. And, and, and loud even sometimes you could say, and, and just not being able to on my own order be on a Saturday afternoon for me was like, whoa, I'm in trouble, right? Like I, mm. I that really like, Uh, uh, um, yeah, it just really shocked me. Um, so I, I then went home and I, and of course you have family, I have, have family, right? So I, had to do, I was also scared of what the family might think. I had no idea what my colleagues might think. I had no idea what my investors might think. 
And I'm, I'm trying to hide this the whole time, right? Because I'm so scared of people knowing that I'm not doing well, but I still need to show up the next week for work. And there was a lot at stake. So, um, so that's how I felt it. I couldn't order a beer in a normal Barcelona beach bar on a, on a given Saturday. That you know? must be very scary. Mm -hmm. So you were in this space where you were almost like in shock. You couldn't order a beer. You were super stressed. And on top of that, you were scared of how people were going to react if you yeah. open up. So how, was, how did you do it? And how was your experience doing it, talking to your investors and say, I didn't. You didn't. I didn't. I just kept it to myself until I started Oliva. Like I, I just carried it with me. Wow. Uh, of course, my very close friends knew, and my, and 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 my family, right? My wife and and so forth. But I guess the only problem is, is that if you tell somebody, which you should, but you should also have to understand that this person might not understand it because they're just not going through themselves. So you shouldn't go there with an expectation that they'll mm -hmm. tell you how to solve it or they'll give you advice. In most cases, they'll just say, okay, thanks for, thank you for telling me, right? Actually, ideally, they shouldn't give you advice because there's people that are trained to give you the advice, but um, I didn't. And it's something that I regret because I think it would have made things a lot. I regret little things, but this is one of them probably. I think it was important for me to open up and just voice it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But but I was even scared from the point of view of my, of my wife. Like, she's not suffering with that. So, like, we're a young family and... How is she going to deal with this? How is she going to understand this? Like at the end of the day, what she wants is a strong, of course, she's my wife and she'll accept everything and, and support me with everything. But what she wants is a strong partner that helps us, you know, raise the kids and, and makes us, you know, successful as a family and so forth. So I was scared, like, how is she going to take it? And, and now, you know, which, is, which was even more important to me than the investors, to be quite frank mm -hmm. and, and so forth, right, for, for the obvious reasons. But But I was just scared. I was scared about me and I was scared about how they might feel and how they might perceive it. Because it's not something you can touch. You can't show somebody when you're feeling anxious, right? It's not like when you break your leg or something, you can show somebody that. So it's been, it's been a journey. It's been a journey and I've learned a lot. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, the funny thing about this topic is, is that people that might listen to this, I think many could think, It's so obvious like just talk about it and just go get yeah. some help and just take care of yourself and do sports and sleep well and eat well and at the end of the day it's really that simple but to piece all these things together and to maintain it and to understand the importance of it and the priority of them at least for me it was very hard to piece all those things together especially in the day-to-day -day when you're running a business or a family or whatever you might be doing to really take that time and and retrain your brain and build brand new habits it's it's insane it's insane how hard it is even though how simple it sounds uh, uh, and i know i'm going in a bit in a rant but i think this is important there's a book i read that really helped me um which is called atomic habits i don't know if you've heard about it yeah, yeah i read it and the the most important learning for me was which i think could help other people is It does like it's not about running. If let's say you take up running for three hours, how about we first just start by creating a habit? Forget about the actual running. How about we just run for five minutes? But that every day for the next month. Let's get that in. And then we're going to go up to maybe seven minutes, 10 minutes, 15, whatever you feel comfortable. And, um, and, and I think that understanding of first building a habit and really doing it in really, really small iterations and chunks 
that for me was a life changer, to be honest, because I would always say, okay, I'm going to go run. And all of a sudden I was trying to run an hour a day, trying to do a diet, trying to sleep early, trying to meditate and all of that together. So it was just like, oh, this whole huge project in front of me. But once I understood, I'm just going to start with one thing and I'm just going to do it for five minutes and that every day. It took me like, it was funny because my wife would laugh about me. It's like, okay, love, I'm going to go for a run. And I would be back 10 minutes later. He's like, wait, did you go to the mailbox or did you go running? Right. And we would laugh about it. And I was like, don't worry. Like, I'm just trying to create this habit. And, and I really nailed it, to be honest, because now like I run longer. It doesn't matter how long, but but I do it every day. And it's just part of my day. Like, like I brush my teeth, like I eat, I run. Right. Um, and, and so that that book really, at least with me, it resonated a lot. Yeah. I guess sometimes saying like, okay, I need to run. It's adding more stones, more yeah. weight to your backpack rather than saying like, it's five minutes. It's the fact of showing up. Exactly, exactly. And once you got that down, then you can push yourself a little bit if you want. But let's first do that habit. Yeah. So once you had the opportunity to open up with, with your partner and with your family, how was your experience? It was quite powerful because... The great thing about doing that is that they they don't think about the business. They don't think they think about you. Like their mind focuses on you. So they say, okay, fair enough. So they, they were super supportive. Like they were they they listened, which was important. And then without giving me advice in the beginning, which was also important. In many cases, people get into the therapist mode, and and I really think that's not the right thing because you can give somebody the wrong advice. But they first listened and. And then they made me realize like, okay, so this clearly has been happening for a while and you've clearly been hiding this or not hiding, but you, you haven't done anything about it. That's it. Like now we're going we're gonna to push you to prioritize yourself. And they, they almost they didn't, they didn't force me, but they really made a point that, okay, it's enough. Like you've, you've deprioritized or, or you put yourself as the last priority for long enough. Now we need to get out of this as a family because we need you as part of this family. Right. And And that, it sounds a bit like pressure, but it wasn't. For me, it was like, it was the final, let's say, slap in the face that I needed, that my priorities need to be different and, and, and starting with myself and, and the family. So it was the best thing I could have done, right? And she, they just really helped me to put it into perspective. It was like the little push from love and acceptance that you needed. Yeah, yeah. And it felt great to have a team now to deal with this, right? It was not me trying to battle. All of a sudden I had my wife suggesting stuff and, and being like, and asking, how are you feeling? And, and giving me the space that I needed at the same time. So just having a team now, acknowledging the problem. Yeah, it was, it was very helpful. So what, how was it for you to start a new business? Because I guess it could have been triggering because it was, again, even if it was a different problem to be solved, what were your emotions in, in the early days of Oliva? It was scary. It was scary because, of course, you know, a big part of what of, of the anxiety that I felt was work-related, right? Like I, I had quite a bit of, of pressure on top of me, which which is normal, but... But yeah, I, I, I was scared. I was scared because I didn't want to fall back into what I felt into travel perk. I didn't want to, to feel like I was feeling again, right? So I, I took it step by step 
and I made sure like the most important thing was I really needed to double down on the learnings that I did uh, about my resilience and and how to treat it really like how to treat it as a as a healthy journey and not as a, you have to like you know there's this there's this part the problem in startups as you know is that there's this a bit of a culture that it's getting better I think now with what's going on in the world but this hustle culture, right? Like, and no matter what, things need to get done. If you burn out, then you burn out, and so be it. It can't be that way. So it was scary, but I knew that this time around, I had all of the alarm bells that I needed to make sure that I remain healthy and 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 can sustain the pace over long periods of times, right? 10, 15 years, 20, whatever it might be. But um, I, I, so after I realized that I at least knew exactly what were the buttons, actions, alarms that I needed to keep in mind and keep an eye on, I feel much better. I think it's really empowering to hear someone that struggled with mental health while building a business and seeking for help and starting therapy sessions and recuperating and being open about how your mental state was that didn't paralyzed you or said like okay never again but you open a new business you have a new challenge that can be quite similar in terms of you have VCs again you have a, a business again and yet you are learning from the experience yeah and also you know another thing is a big learning now that I think about it is many of entrepreneurs and, and I think that's what I did in travel perk is that I let the company become me Like I mixed me and the company into one person, right? And this was everything. And this time around, I think about Oliva, it's very important. It's one of my other kids, basically, right? But it's it's that, like, it's not me. It's, it's, it's a different thing. And I need to take care of it and nurture it and grow it. But it's a different thing. It's, it's not connected to me. And I think that realization and learning has also helped me a lot to treat it as such. Yeah. And I guess in, in another level, uh, people that maybe don't, own a business or started up a, a company um, might feel defined by the quality or the quantity of the work they do, even if they are an individual contributor, right? And I think it's it's good to separate who you are from what you do. It doesn't define you and, and you can be having uh, problems delivering because you're stressed, but that doesn't make you less or anything. Yeah. You're still a good friend, right? You're still a good partner. You're still a good colleague. Like, So yeah, totally agree. And how was your first psychology session? I know that sometimes can be scary. It was horrible. It was horrible. So it took me five therapists to find the right one. Um, and, and my very first one, it was horrible, right? Because it took me weeks to find that person. Weeks. I think I was in Berlin or I can't remember where I was, but I, I was Googling days in and days out. Um, I, I was trying to figure out what I was feeling, where was that coming from, trying to like almost do a self-diagnosis. Then I found the individual. I'm super excited to finally get the appointment. I go to the appointment and this person is just yawning every 30 seconds while I'm talking, right? Like I'm just pouring my soul out. And so I was like, really? Like this is like, this is weeks of work to, to this and then really neutral. Yeah, not engaging at all. But I knew that I still needed it. So I did that four more times. And then eventually I found somebody that was spot on. And, and, and I, was, I was really happy that I, like, that I kept trying because the difference was night and day. And I was like, oh, okay. So 
it exists. Like there is actually care for me that matches well. It's not me being picky. It's just very different to what I'm getting now. So, um, so the first time was scary. The first few times were scary and draining. And uh, uh, but when you get it right, it's crazy good. Like it's it's one of the best experiences, right? Because all of a sudden, like from a week to week, you just like literally what they're doing, in my opinion, is they're helping you rewire your thought process, basically. It's like, okay, hold on, but you were scared of this or you were feeling like that or you're sad about that. Let's think about this, right? And they just ask you the right questions for you to be like, ah, hold on, you're right. Like, I shouldn't be thinking about this this way or I shouldn't be seeing it that way or it's not that important or it's more important or whatever it might be. And and it really takes somebody that knows uh, to be able to, to understand you and knows how to frame and also when to ask these questions right and and but once you find it it's magical like it at least for me it changed my life and now we just have to reduce the number of failed attempts for people so first time scary once you find the right person first time with that person incredible well for me it's crazy to hear five therapists and how many people don't continue trying they have like perhaps one, two experiences, and it's like, oh, this psychology thing is not for me. And they don't have the, the support they need because they didn't have the right click at the beginning. So it is a difficult journey. And I think it's it's important to um, say that there is no one size fits all. And probably your the therapy that clicked, the therapist that clicked with you perhaps it won't click with another person and it is a process, right? And depending on your, uh, and what you're experiencing and the way you are and the moment of your life that you are, you might need one professional or another. So sometimes you have this friend that says, oh, my psychologist, she or he is great, try it out. And it's like, well, if this great psychologist didn't work for me, then none will work. And it's important to, to say that there is no one size fits all so how is Oliva reducing this, this amount of failures with therapists? So one thing you said is very important. I think is um, people shouldn't, shouldn't refer themselves, their friends to their therapist. That's really, really bad. It's, it's dangerous. You know, they, as you say, they lose hope if it doesn't work well. The best thing they can do is refer them to the clinic or to the group, right? And for them to do their work, but don't do the work of, of, of a clinic. Uh, I've heard a lot of people failing through that or not finding the right help because of that. So at Oliva, what we do is that in a nutshell, we make sure that we make these decisions of who is the right match in terms of professional and type of care in an objective matter. We do that by, by basing it on data, right? So we collect a bunch of data from the individual, like, you know, was, have you tried something in the past? Uh, what did it work well? Did it not? Are you taking medication? Does it run in your family? What do you prefer? What are you after? So we collect, you know, almost a hundred different parameters of the individual. Uh, and then we do the same thing for the professional. Like, what were you trained in? What have you had more training in? What age groups are you good at? What ethnic groups are you good at? What religious are you good at? You know, LGBT, like, do you have affinity to that? Are you maybe part of that group yourself? So we collect as much data as we can to create a profile for these two individuals, right? And, and through time, as we have more data, then we can really start nailing, you know, the, the correlations between these two things, right? And ideally in the future, we'll be able to predict the success of a match. But, but the most important thing here is for us is to collect the right data and to, and to make sure that the data, of course, is clean 
and to keep building and filling that bucket of data to make sure that it's more accurate and more accurate and more accurate. And if we get it wrong, which probably we will a few times, we just need to understand what went wrong and why didn't it work. It's not like we do the match and then we just wash our hands and say goodbye, good luck, it was great. We keep tracking every second session. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you happy with your therapist? Are you doing progress? But you know, we measure your symptoms. So everything is wrapped around data and we make sure that if we spot an outlier that we react very quickly to it and we learn from it. I think that is very, very helpful because when you are in a mental state where you're desperate to get help, it's easy to answer questions like, do you like to express yourself through art? Or, But if you need to do a research on what kind of therapies are out there and which one is the best for you at this time is way more complex and you are not in, in the mental state to do it. Exactly. I mean, to put it into perspective, there's, depending on where you read, right, but there's over 200 types of mental health issues as one. So imagine doing research to what you have of those 200. Two, there's over 200 types of mental health therapy types. Yeah. So first, you got to find out which of the 200 you have of those issues. Then you have to find which modality best suits you without being in the space ever. And then you have to find the right individual that has that experience in that modality and also connects with you in terms of personality, backgrounds, and, and just personal connection, right? So all these to come together by you doing it yourself, unfortunately, you have a very small chance of success. Mm. And that's what we want to change. We shouldn't think about this. You should, we want to increase your chances to you know 90% plus of you getting it right in the first attempt. Um, and, and then and then I would say like on top of that, if like the beauty about our model now is that we are doing it for employees, so they don't pay out of pocket, right? So the, even that anxiety is gone. If you ask people, it's like, oh, like I've saved this little bit of money, but if I get sick, uh, what do I do? Or I needed to buy that or whatever. And like now I've paid for three sessions. They're always very expensive and it's not working for me. And now just the thought of me having to pay again it's just too much. So the beauty of having, you know, serving employees through employers is that it's not only very easy for them to get started and find the right type, it's, it's also free for them at the point of use, right? And in my mind, it makes absolute sense for everybody involved, for all stakeholders, right? Like companies go through this massive journey and effort of, of finding the right people, hiring the right people, onboarding them, training them. And the biggest asset they have, which is the, that this individual's brain, they just leave it up to chance and they say, okay, good luck, my friend. Let's see where this goes. Mm. Well, like if you think about the cost of making that investment to at least reduce the chance of that person not feeling well while they're working for you and producing value, it's so small compared to what you're losing if you don't do it. So the ROI is just no brainer, right? And there's enough study and data that prove this as well. So um, that's how we're trying to solve it. Yeah, it's incredible how normal or often we see people going on sick leave for four or five months because of mental health struggles, and especially in the startup world, and that shouldn't be the case, right? So just to wrap up, could you give our listeners one piece of advice around mental health? One, okay, one, difficult. I would say the most important one would be don't fear stigma. Talk about it. It's fine. And I'm going to have to say one more. Build yourself a framework or method, whatever you want to call it, of resilience and take it serious. Like 
call it meditation, you know, there's things that everybody needs. Sleep, everybody needs it. Don't underestimate sleep. Like sleep is crazy important. Don't underestimate good nutrition. Don't underestimate a little bit of physical activity. Uh, you know, like do not underestimate these things. It's, the, it's so easy to deprioritize them and not take them serious. And the effect is way bigger than you think. So prioritize that stuff. Thank you, Javi. It was really, really nice uh, talking to you, learning about your experience, how Oliva was born and where Oliva is going. So yeah, it was lovely to have you here. Thank you, Maite, so much as well. It was a real pleasure. Mental Health at Work is hosted by Maite Otero, produced by myself, Simon Dumont, and brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health care for the whole team. Thanks to Javi for kicking off the podcast in style. If you liked what you heard, and if you're still listening at this point, I assume you did, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Next week, Mai will be chatting mental health with Jessica Hayes, COO at Whereby. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.